0: Uh, It's the mid-December installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Mike Morgan of ESPN, SEC Network, both of which have been in the news lately. We'll touch on that later on. J.C. Sherbert of the Big Spur, which has also been in the news, reporting uh, feverishly the hiring of Shane Beamer, uh, as well as 24-7 Sports, which is always on the cusp of news surrounding college football. What's to get to today? Uh, first off JC how are you? How are you feeling? I know you're you're battling colder
1: conditions than most of us with today. How are you holding up? Doing good. You know, I got a trip planned um, I guess first week of January, kind of a surprise thing that with the kids and the girlfriend down to warmer climates, but then then hopefully going to even warmer climates uh, climates in March. So I'm holding on to those. Like uh, <laughs> I have uh, I've still got to build my indoor turtle habitat. Yes. Uh, which uh, I told the turtles they weren't going to have to hibernate this year. So that's going to be tropical. It's going to have palm trees and, and a light a heat lamp and a waterfall to where I can kind of feel like I'm a, at a resort, even when I'm here in Illinois.
0: That's, man, that's impressive. That's, of course. That's, I
1: know. Wouldn't have it any other way.
0: I, I always knew it'd be of a reptile of some kind. So uh, kudos, kudos to that. Yeah. Um, by the way, I'm I'm doing this. You know, you and I are are cut from a different cloth. I I think I'm actually in a lot of ways the odd bird. I think some people might guess the opposite, but <laughs> I'm I'm most productive. Like I, I've got uh, uh, a number of things uh, to prepare for this week, including tomorrow. Uh, I've got a double header of uh, basketball, really good matchups: uh, uh, Clemson, Alabama. Mm. Sounds like a great football matchup, and it could be again. And uh, Auburn-Memphis, a doubleheader uh, here in Atlanta, at the State Farm Arena. So I'm you know, preparing for four teams there, and then I've got other things and, uh, going on, and I've got this podcast and this and that. So when I'm knee-deep into like prep work and stuff, I don't like silence. Right? Mm. You know this about me. I, I have the TV on, and, of course, if there's a sporting event, then that's on. That's a no-brainer for me. There's not really anything going on as we're recording this in in the midday on a Friday, so I I get a you know a a plethora of movie channels. That's my other fallback, and I will watch the same movie a thousand times if I like it. So I'm searching, and it's like, okay, anything with The Rock? No, thank you. A movie about aliens? No, thank you. A remake of a comic book movie? No, thank you. Jaws. Okay. and I was thinking about this. How many times in my life have I actually watched Jaws? Not necessarily cover to cover, but like at least, you know, 30 minutes of it in a given day. And I'm guessing it's over 100. What would be your most watched movie? For a lot of people, it's The Godfather. It's Goodfellas. It's kind of the gangster theme. And, I, and I've seen those a bunch too. And if you're talking comedies, any John Hughes movie, if you don't know who John Hughes is. Mm. Google it because he's the Martin Scorsese of comedies. That man made vacation, Christmas vacation, 16 candles, breakfast club, planes, trains, and automobiles. He might have made Home Alone. I have to double check that. The guy was friggin' brilliant and never gets enough credit for um, his brilliance. He died about 10 years ago, and it, I thought it kind of fell under the radar. But uh, so if you take comedy out of the equation, Jaws would be my number one. I'll just throw that out there before we get knee deep into college mm.
1: football. You say, got to take comedy out of it. Okay, I, this is going to sound weird because um, it's not like my favorite movie or anything, but uh, I'd say Brave uh, – not Braveheart. Braveheart probably is my favorite movie. I'd say Independence Day. Wow. <laughs> that is a guilty pleasure of mine. Like if I'm just sitting around and don't – because I'm I'm the opposite of you, Mike. I won't watch movies over and over again. Yeah. I, I, will, I will watch them once in the theater and then maybe go back later and watch. Uh, I always want to kind of see something new and stuff like that and so I'm not I'm not a big like over and over again guy and, and I like radio silence when I'm working in prep <laughs> and no. so it's, it's it's so we are different yeah you're you're the normal one <laughs> normal. Most but people, um
0: I've been asked and this goes back to when I was in college and studying for an exam and I'd have like
1: JFK on in the background I'm like dude how are you how are you yeah, because I mean, how do you? Because you got to think about JFK. You know, you can't just can't just rock it and roll it. By the way, Joe Pesci and, and JFK underrated. Okay. But, but and also one more little PSA: if you if you haven't seen The Irishman, it's a long movie Very on long. Uh, on Netflix. But Joe Pesci shows you like a different side of him, like yes. like Al Pacino's in it as uh, Jimmy Hoffa, and Pacino's the big demonstrative guy that talks and stuff like that. And uh, dude, Joe Pesci's just kind of like. Uh, I don't know. He's he's very like quiet, like silent assassin, weird, you know, that kind of thing. So Independence Day, and I'll tell you who makes that movie for me. Number one, I learned what plausible deniability meant when that movie came out when I was in high school. Uh, Two words, sir, plausible deniability. So so I I use that constantly, especially covering coaching searches. And uh, that's number one. Number two, Robert Loggia makes that movie. Give me the secretary of defense. Then wake him. They're Robert preparing. L- they're preparing to fire their primary weapon. Uh, you know, he, he just he makes it. He makes that movie. Robert Loggia makes that movie. Who was in Scarface? Another movie I've seen a hundred times. In Scarface, and also was uh, Coach Wally Riggendorf in the epic comedy football classic Necessary Roughness, oh, which wow. also starred uh, Kathy Ireland. He was, he he was, was the original re-
0: female kicker long yes. before.
1: Long before the the girl
0: from Vanity, but uh, worldwide, uh, Kathy was. I mean, she was kicking field goals. She wasn't just squibbing it.
1: She's kind of like Marissa Tomei, and that she's aged really, really well. So, um, but yeah, that that's my that's probably Independence you, Day, the, the the first one. The second, I can't. I've never even seen the end of the second one because I fall asleep because it's. I never
0: even saw Independence Day, the first one. Um, oh my god! I know, I know. Well, when you when you watch Last Chance, you and the hundred other recommendations. <laughs> Then I'll watch
1: Independence Day. My th- don't watch the second one. Watch the first one. It's it's okay. really good. Will Smith, Jeff Goldblum's in it. Fair um, enough. You know, yeah. It's uh, but, but uh, Loggia is awesome in that movie. Lozia is uh,
0: great in everything. Then wake um, him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm I'm going to make the most uh, awkward of of transitions. At least okay. I don't know now that the thought my Oh yeah because the college football podcast, I promise you begins now. That was a quick aside. Yes. Um, Do you remember when we were going through and these were some of our most listened to podcasts uh, this time of year, our numbers spike uh, for a lot of different reasons and coaching searches are just gold. They're gold for people like you, JC, that run websites. They're gold for uh, talk shows in those particular markets. They're gold for podcasts like ours. And uh, when Tennessee was doing all that, I made the analogy that people still kid me about and say they really enjoyed, which was this is the time when Tennessee was convinced they were getting John Gruden. They were getting Chip Kelly. They, they just basically thought a lot of their fans thought they were going to get whoever the heck they wanted. And I've talked about this as it pertains to a number of programs in the SEC and otherwise that think they, that they're they you, you just can't help but get out of your bubble. And you see the pretty buildings, and you know the big money donors, and you know that you're in a great conference, and you just think, hell, we can get whoever the heck we want. Um, Texas, for crying out loud, which has more money than anybody, right? And they have their own network, for crying out loud. They thought they were going to get Urban Meyer, and Urban said, no, I'll just stay on the TV desk. Now, I I know a thing or two about TV salaries, and I'm sure Urban uh, does quite well at Fox. There's no way they pay him even close to what he would have made as the head coach of Texas. That just goes to show you urban decided it ain't worth the money. I'm staying right here. Um, and Tennessee three years ago, when we were doing this, I said, and I can't remember what supermodel at the time was a Brooklyn Decker. I don't even know who yeah. the swimsuit model is, uh, it changes every six months. Um, and I said, stop going after Brooklyn Decker and go after Marissa Tomei mm. because there's nothing wrong with Marissa Tomei. She's a beautiful, smart, accomplished actress, uh, but she's not the flavor of the month, so to speak. Because that changed, you know, it, it changes. Uh, she doesn't have as many Instagram followers as uh, you know some some beach model right now who's 23 and and posing uh, in Rio. But uh, I just remember that, and I don't, I don't know where I pulled that from, but it's still true today. You know, just change the names. Actually, we could stay with Marissa Tomei, because Marissa Tomei is ageless. I mean, Marissa Tomei is always going to be uh, a fine commodity. But, you know, maybe maybe uh, that's not the first person that you, uh, you think of when you're purchasing your swimsuit calendar or what have you. Uh, and I think a lot of uh, fan bases, when they're thinking about who their next coach should be, they want the hot model at the time when really who they should be going for is the more accomplished uh and, and solid salt of the earth actress like Marissa Tillman. So anyway, uh, I just I just thought of that as well. Let me get uh, let me get to a couple things. Actually, you know what I'm going to do, JC, if you if you'll indulge me, because we this is going to be shorter than normal. And uh we don't have like a script. We never do, but we don't even have a format today. Mm-hmm. I am just going to free, uh, what do you call it? Like when rappers just free, often. free, freestyle, freestyle. I'm just going to freestyle some thoughts that I've had this week, and then and then you pick up wherever you want to go. From there. Sweet, I'm all for that. I love that style. Here, here I the I best am. podcaster. I don't, need, like I don't even need a beatbox to do this. Yeah. All right, so. We're we're heading down the home stretch. Of course, we've got uh, one more week of "quote unquote" regular games, and then conference championship games. And then we're gonna. We, we, some would say we're limping. I, I would say this has been a remarkable success for everybody out there that's taken part. Uh, kudos to Greg Sankey, John Swalford, Bob Bowlesby, and their three conferences. Um, I, I, I don't need to say anything more about the leadership of the other two. Um, but bottom line is we all got here somehow, some way. And, you know, the, the, the Pat 40s and the other people of the world that told you what a terrible idea it was and how wrong it was to play football. They can now switch their next storyline to how, what a travesty it is that the basketball players are, are playing games during the holidays. I guess we're supposed to send them home, and have them get COVID on their own and have no structure or anything in their life. Nate Oates, by the way, nailed that. If you haven't seen the Alabama basketball coach on his comments regarding that uh, YouTube, it Twitter, it whatever it, he is so spot on. Anyway, we're, we're at that. We're down the home stretch 2020 to me. And I'm not saying this in a negative way. It's truly more about what happened off the field than on, because it's going to be a predictable final four again, um, but you, you think of all the stories this year, these supersede anything that happened on the field. Like when I think of 2020 in a vacuum and I'm like, okay, JC, what was your favorite game? What was your favorite moment? What was the okay. signature? I, I struggle to do that right now, but here's what I remember. Here's top of the mind awareness about 2020 football, the debacle that was Kevin Warren's handling of the big 10 to the PAC 12s, growing irrelevance to the ACC adding Notre Dame in a shrewd move to FSU seemingly ducking Clemson, to the ACC canceling games that didn't need to be canceled, to BYU and Coastal Carolina having a Bumble Date-like game on the fly, to Texas thinking they can get Urban Meyer because we're Texas, to coaches getting fired even in the middle of a pandemic. And those are the things that stick out to me. We're not hearing so much of, I think so-and-so should be number four instead of number five in the playoff rankings or – we need to do something about that targeting penalty, guys. It's just—it's less about that this year. It's more about the stories. And that's okay because at the end of the day, sports are a lot like a soap opera anyway. It's, it's the male version of a soap opera. And we've gotten that in spades this year. My thought on the playoff, since we, we need to talk about it, um, it's just more proof that the quality of your brand matters. Ohio State is a brand. Indiana is not. Ohio State is a brand. Cincinnati is not. Ohio State is a brand. Coastal Carolina is not. And so this is not a big puzzle or mystery, and it's not worth spending three hours a day arguing or debating it. You all knew this was going to happen. You all knew somehow, some way, once the Big Ten decided to play football, and Ohio State was a big reason why that happened with the pressure that they put on Kevin Warren's office and the school presidents in that league, that unless Ohio State had some debacle of a loss that no one saw coming, they were going to get just enough games to get in. And you could change the rules on the fly. That is the signature of 2020. They did. They're going to get in. Notre Dame is going to get in. Uh, Clemson, if they beat Notre Dame, is going to get in. Bama is the best team in the country, and they're probably in with a win or a loss. So Ohio State gets in with a Bama win. I mean, that's it. This is not that complicated. If Florida beats Alabama, they're in. Uh, All due respect to Cincinnati, to Coastal Carolina, to Indiana, to Texas A&M, it's just not happening. It's not happening. There's not a lot of um, suspense in any of this, but there really hasn't been in college football for quite some time. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. I thought about this in terms of the SEC, JC. Say that five times real fast. How many fan bases are actually happy with their season this year in the Southeastern conference? Mm. Alabama has no reason not to be happy, right? Two, Although, two of them. Two. Yeah. If Alabama loses a game then they're uh, miserable, yeah, they t- lost, so they're happy. Mm-hmm. Florida, I think certainly that fan base, considering the 10 years of uh, drudge and trudge of the the, the, the champ era and then the McIlwain era and then the way the Urban Meyer era ended and all that – and no passing game and they all of a sudden they've got something to cheer about and they're probably not going to beat Alabama but they got a shot at it and that's for Dan Mullen to be able to do that in year three you got to be happy if you're Florida I think A&M's fan base is pretty doggone happy yes they lost to Alabama again yes the game was pretty much over at the half they're just not there mm-hmm. but they're in the conversation they're in the top 10 and you can't rip Jimbo Fisher. Now, I don't care if it's 75 million or a hundred million, he's getting results and, and they're in the, they're, they're relevant again. They're not just good. They're pretty doggone good. They're just not great. Um, I would say Mizzou's fan base should be happy. Eli Drinkwitz, if they somehow beat Georgia, you can pretty much give him the coach of the year trophy. Now he might want it anyway. Um, but the Missouri fan base ought to be happy. And then I'll add one more. So this would be what, five? I think the Ole Miss fan base is pretty happy. It's not a great year, but they're fun to watch. Lane has injected some adrenaline and enthusiasm into that program that had been lacking. Uh, they had a, a you know an upset or two. They gave Alabama a run. So yeah, I think that fan base is pretty happy. Uh, And I think if you're Arkansas, you're, you know, you're not ecstatic about a three win season, which is what you're looking at, but you're content with the fact that it it feels like it's better than the absolute quagmire that you've been in. So I'd say five fan bases are happy. One is content. And then everybody else is like borderline miserable to mad, to upset, to want their coach fired, to got their coach fired. Um, that's the way I see it. We'll talk about Beamer at South Carolina. We'll talk about what Vandy's looking at doing. We'll talk about Auburn and the Gus Malzahn year on year off saga that it is. We'll talk about Tennessee. And then we could do a whole segment on LSU and and what has happened to that program. Uh, and if that's just a one year bump in the road or there, or is there more serious problems there? That is my, my, my version of gangster rap right there. Relax. Ride with Founders. When you refinance your new or used vehicle from another financial institution, Founders will beat your existing rate by 1% to a minimum of 1.99% for autos and 4.99% for RVs. Or purchase a new or used vehicle and Founders will deposit $100 into your Loyalty Select account. Lower your rate or cash in the bank. Get started on your refi or buy today at foundersfcu.com refi or buy. Membership qualification required. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NC. Hey, folks, mortgage rates have dipped to their lowest levels in recent history, and with home values up in many areas, now may be the perfect time to refinance your home. Whether you're looking to lower your monthly payments, free up cash for home improvements, or just pay off your home faster, a quick call to the one and only Stuart Wingo of Ameris Bank could save you money. If you're looking for competitive rates and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo, 803-319-1777. That's 803-319-1777. You will save money just like I have so many times over the years. You can also visit him, amerisbank.com, slash Stuart Wingo. Stuart Wingo, the man with the plan for all your mortgage needs. Without any curse words.
1: Well, yeah, and, and look, man, I'm gonna. I'll start with the SEC first. I, I think Arkansas people have to be happy. Obviously, the last three weeks have not gone well, but you know they're they're one of the only teams to slow down Ole Miss this year. They beat Tennessee, which is always a big thing for Arkansas. They were the victims of two bad calls uh, against Auburn and LSU that screwed them royally. And and I'm just gonna start saying it when these teams get screwed. I'm just gonna start saying they got screwed by the refs. Uh, there's no other way around it, um, and they did. So, so you could be five and four right now, and really that Missouri game was so up and down, it was really going to be who the, who got had the ball last. So, so you could really be looking at six and three if you're the pit boss and the Razorbacks this year. So, so I think they're pretty happy. And here's another thing about it. Everybody's going to a bowl this year in the SEC, uh, except LSU, who took themselves out of contention, and Vanderbilt, which will probably be winless, everybody else is getting in. So Arkansas, even though, you know, you look at the record, it's going to be probably be three and seven. Um, You know, there's a lot of, you know, Arkansas had it been the normal year, maybe could have been, you know, three and five in the league, but seven and five overall going to the Liberty bowl or whatever. Um, And so with an all conference schedule, and and I talked about this at the beginning of the year, Mike, there's going to be some schools that look at their record and go, that's ugly and unacceptable when they've really had pretty good years like Auburn, to me has had a really good year five sec wins they had the loss to south carolina they got upset there but i think they've had a good year you know if, if they had their normal cupcakes they play and they usually play four of them <laughs> you know they'd have eight or nine wins Don't so, say to your best on. that got him in a lot of trouble yeah uh <laughs> well you know when, when you lose to georgia and you lose to bama there it's, it's never going to be good but um, you know, I, I think if there's disappointment, obviously South Carolina was a disappointment. Tennessee, I think Kentucky people thought they'd be better. Um, Georgia, obviously losing two games. They, they, I think they're at the point where if they lose more than one. They're they're concerned. LSU was a disaster. Mississippi State, after starting so promising. Uh, of the new coaches, if you'd have told me Mike Leach was going to be the worst in his first year, out of all of them, and Eli Drinkwitz would have been the best. I would have mm. said you were crazy. But, but I also look at Missouri and, and look at how they play, Mike. Uh, and th- they're really good on defense and they're sneaky good on offense. Like they, they have this, uh, defensive philosophy where if you're not good at throwing the ball, you're going to have problems moving it against them, uh, you know, because they're going to stack the box and make mm-hmm. you throw it. And that works against a lot of teams. And then, um, you know, on offense, I think, you know, that they've got a good quarterback and they're able to kind of play ball control a little bit when they need to and then crank it up when they need to. You know, if they beat Georgia, which is not out of the question, you know, that, that's a, that they're one of the hottest teams. Maybe, maybe, maybe we were all a year off when we said this is Missouri's year last year. You know what I'll say about Missouri just to add to your point? Um, and I don't think they beat
0: Georgia. And I had Missouri twice. I was supposed to have them against Arkansas for that game. Got postponed. That just turned out to be one of the games of the year. Thank you, COVID. Um, I, I when I had them against South Carolina, when I watched them on tape against team when they played bad teams or medium team mediocre teams, their coaching prevailed. When they played a team like Florida, they were just outman and Florida just knocked them in the dirt. But that's good coaching. Like you, you, good coaching is not taking a team that's inferior at 85% of the positions and winning anyway. That's, that sounds, yeah, it would be great coaching, but that doesn't happen very much in college football it happens a little bit more in college basketball in college football. What makes a good coach for a guy like Eli Drinkwitz and for most of the coaches out there that don't have elite talent and have to win anyway, is that you beat the teams that you're supposed to beat and you beat the you win the games that the talent is fairly even. And that's where I think Eli Drinkwitz has a chance to be a really good coach because they're never going to have elite talent at Missouri. But he's going to be able to beat the le- lesser teams in the SEC. And if you give the other guys equal talent, you give Eli Drinkwitz equal talent, I think Eli's going to win more often than not. I think he's a really good coach.
1: Well, and in the different ways they win too. I mean, you know, you look at the shootouts against Arkansas and LSU, and then you have a game like against Kentucky where it was ball control and they had it for 44 minutes, Yeah, you know, South Carolina game you had certainly in the second half, uh, Missouri didn't score and the game was 17 to 10. Um, you know, and, and teams that can win different ways when you don't have a talent advantage. Uh, I, I think that's, that there's something to be said for that. Now we'll, we'll see what happens to old Mizzou going forward, but, uh, you know, certainly the Drinkwits era is off to a great start. Lane Kevin's off to a great start, I think, at Ole Miss. Um, I think Pittman, by all accounts, is too. And then, you know, Mississippi State, you know, I think Leach has to kind of get his guys in place, um, and then we'll see about them. But of the of the four new coaches, you can't really argue with where Missouri's at right now. You know, you mentioned them changing the rules for Ohio State and brand and all that. And, I look, Mike, I – I'm with you, and I agree it's just a fact of life uh, in college football. Brand matters, um, and and optics matter, and perception matters. I mean, if you think about the things in college football, how do we determine a champion? Well, we have a playoff, but that playoff is selected by a committee that uses eyeball tests and stuff like that. So, so, you know, brand matters in that. We, We saw that the first year. If you're telling me Texas and Oklahoma would have tied for the Big 12 title, and one of those teams at least would have not have gotten in that year. I have another thing coming. You know, you have another thing coming. Um, <clears throat> instead, it was TCU and Baylor both got left out for Ohio State. Ohio State ended up winning it, by the way. But, you know, brand does still matter. And, and, and I think what we have to ask ourselves is, though, and Dabbo Sweeney made a good point about this. He's like, I'd have a hard time, you know, leaving a 9-1, and 10-1 Texas A&M team out for a team that's only played six games and their toughest game is Northwestern, which no offense to Northwestern, but that's that's going to be Ohio State's toughest game. Um, now on a neutral field, do I think Ohio State would beat Texas A&M? Probably like a drum. Um, I, I, I tend to think, Mike, since we're thinking outside of the box this year anyway, and there's no rule against it. Take one of these bowl games since, you know, the SEC is only going to – they, they, they have, like you're going to have 12 teams to fill 14 spots with the SEC. Uh, or you can do it at a neutral site. Maybe have a play-in game. I, you know, I, I just uh, – you know, to me, you know, having all your games – a lot of your games canceled um, and then going and beating Northwestern, which is a good football team, but that's it, the Big Ten title game – and anointing a champion and then letting that that really rested, really talented team play in the playoffs against, you know, I'm not saying Clemson's gone through the juggernaut or anything, but, you know, they will have played Notre Dame twice and played an all-ACC schedule with the exception of one game um, and, and, and will have played 11 games or so. I mean, I, I just don't know how that's ultimately fair when you sit down and, and look at it. Now, the other question is, does does fair matter or are we just trying to get through this, uh, and, and And make it when people look back on the record books, um, make it somewhat of something that makes sense. Um, I, I don't know, I don't know what the question is, but that, but I, in the playoff to me, um, <clears throat> since we're scheduling games on the fly, <laughs> uh, I, I think that I think they should have some sort of play in. But you know, they don't really seem like the type of folks through this whole thing that have wanted to think outside the box. I think there are a lot of outside the box thinkers that have done some good things not the old playoff uh, college football playoff though um and, and i think it's probably cuz they don't want to set the precedent or whatever but i i i kind of agree with dabo i mean it, while, whereas i know ohio state's one of the best four teams in the country you know they they really have not earned it this year through no fault of their own um and other teams have earned a right. lot so 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 that that's that's kind of that, that it's an excellent question, and, and like I said, I, Ohio State to me is one of the top four teams, probably one of the top two teams in the country. But but you can't sit there and, and really say with a straight face that their resume uh, is anywhere close to some of these other teams that that have played the whole season. Now that may not be their fault. I think we all know whose fault that is. Because Ohio State was willing to, to to tee it up and kick it off in early September. Um, and so maybe you give them a pass, but but I think. You know, Dabo Sweeney does have a point that, you know, you're going to let this team in with with six, has only played six games. And you got other teams that have gone through the gauntlet and gone through the rescheduling and COVID and everything else that are probably going to come out like nine and one, eight and one. You know, so how is that fair? So that's uh, that's my little spiel on that.
0: I want to make this abundantly clear. I don't think this is right. I just think it's reality. Yeah. So when I was uh, freestyling there, did you like my
1: style? By the way, I thought it
0: was—I thought it was pretty
1: fresh. I like your use of alliteration. Just there, better. I don't think it's right. I think it's reality.
0: <laughs> it's great alliteration. Yes, absolutely. I—I—I I, I don't think this is the way we should do it. I hate when people say, "Well, come on." I mean, they're—they're they're clearly one of the best four teams. Anybody with eyeballs can see that. The eye tech. Look how many times have we seen in college football where the team that everybody thinks forget about it is one of the best four and very many cases thinks the the best overall. And you just kind of sleepwalk through that November schedule. And you look at it like, well, they're going to win this. They're going to win this. They're going to win this. They're going to be a double digit, double digit favorite in every game. They're going to be the team playing for the national championship. And it didn't happen. I mean, it didn't happen to Southern Cal in 2006, Oklahoma had, some teams that people were saying were the best, one of the best of all times, and they'd stubbed their toe. Uh, You you go back years and years. Remember the Big 12 championship game when Texas beat Nebraska? One of those Tom Osborne, just super juggernaut teams that had already won three national titles in four years, and Mack Brown took a – or was it Makovic? Who was that? In in 96, when Texas upset – um.
1: Ah, uh, was it Texas upset uh Nebraska in '96? Well, yeah, but who was the
0: Texas coach?
1: Ah, uh, that was that was <laughs> Ma- still makovic I think. Yeah, still
0: yeah. I'm giving Mac Brown too much credit. Um, and they had a key like fourth down play that shocked the shot the world there to uh, the tight end. I remember that one. Remember Rich Rodriguez's West Virginia team? Oh, lost a pit. Yeah. Oh,
1: they, that, that team was unbelievable, and their quarterback
0: was so. Dynamic, because we don't know how to use any other word to describe a quarterback. Dynamic. Dynamic. Um, And they lost to Pitt. How about the SEC championship game in 2001? That Florida team with Jesse Palmer, Spurrier's
1: record-breaking offense, and they lose to Tennessee who ran all over them. You can't predict these things. Yeah, and then Tennessee was in place and ran into Rohan Davey and Matt Mock and Nick Saban and LSU in the championship, and they lost. Right. And like, we, Kansas State against Texas A&M in the Big 12 title game, Uh, I think when they had Michael Bishop. Uh Yeah, it was the Michael Bishop year, not the L. Roberson year at K-State. They were undefeated, ranked number one. A&M beat them by three. A&M and K-State ended up in the Alamo Bowl. <laughs> exactly. So my point
0: is we, we don't know – that Ohio state as good as they are and all the five-star recruits and all the guys are going to be drafted high. We don't know that they're going to win. If they had five more data points like these other teams, you can't sit here and guarantee me they were going to win all five. That's the beauty of college football. Mm -hmm. However, in 2020, we were never going to have the equal amount of data points. And we were going to have people in a room that were going to have to make this decision And at the end of the day, they went with brand. That's it. Mm -hmm. Now, the only way Ohio State wouldn't get in, if it's brand versus brand. So let's say Florida beats Alabama, not even in a close game, but by two touchdowns. Again, I don't think it's going to happen. Let's just say it did. And then you had that situation where Notre Dame and Clemson are in, and obviously Florida would be in. Brand versus brand, Alabama gets in over Ohio State because Alabama has more data points. They deserve to be in, but if it was Indiana and not Ohio state that we're talking about, let's say Indiana won that game against Ohio state. And we're talking about a six and zero Indiana team. Do you honestly think they would get into the playoff? No, no. So it's, it's, it is a brand deal. And you know, life is not always fair. Uh, and again, I'm not supporting this. I'm not one of those saying, well, we, we just want the four most talented teams. That's the bottom line. no, no, that's why we play games. That's why
1: we don't just yeah. call this outcome
0: combine.
1: It's not just talent. You know, I mean, you look at Georgia, and look, Bulldog fans, I know you listen, and I'm not trying to bash you, but you really – your most quality win is over Auburn this year, and yet you're ranked eighth. Uh, and I think this is another way – like, and look, I've made a good living off recruiting rankings, and I'm not trying to, to bash them, but that should never be a data point when you're talking about a team on the field that we should never sit there and take that all the word five-star and four-star should never come out of anybody's mouth once you start evaluating football teams because it's different. I mean, that's an individual talent rating based on upside, which means, yeah, okay, if you're a five-star, the expectation is by the time you're a junior or a senior, you're one of the best players in the country, not right away. It's not like basketball, you know, where you have a fab five. And I think people have forgotten about that. So, so, you know, people want to know why Why is Indiana so good this year? Because they have better players, okay? They don't have better talent, like talent equals potential and all that, but their players are better than everybody else's players because their players are together, their players have developed, their players are fast, they can hit, they play within the the system, you know? And it'd be one thing if it was just like a great quarterback at Indiana going up and down the field, but he's hurt. And they beat Wisconsin 14-6. to 6, They're stopping people, you know, uh, with their athletes that they have. Um, And so, and I think, I think that's one of the problems of, and you can't avoid it. You can't avoid the the star ratings and the, the hype and recruiting and all that. You can't avoid it. Believe me, I'm not against it. But I think the people that make the decisions in college football, which is the playoff committee and the rankings people and the media, they need a reality check with all this because, you know, I mean, it's not about supposed to be about brand or star ratings and brand influences star ratings. In case you guys haven't noticed. OK, in case you guys are living under a rock, brand does influence star ratings. You know, and I'm, and I'm not saying that certain schools get higher ratings. I'm saying when you sit there and you're like, this kid has offers from Notre Dame, from Tennessee, Florida State, Miami. Uh you know, Texas uh, and Southern Cal, you know, those are five impressive offers and you're going to look at that kid more and give him more of the benefit of the doubt. And those five schools I just mentioned have done jack squat (laughs) on the national stage lately. Okay. But it still means something. So brand does feed into all that. It ends up being kind of circular. I just don't think at all. You know, with as many advanced metrics as we have these days that don't include things like star ratings and, and recruiting rankings, with, with the way you have computers that can break things down and all that, that you can't get better data points uh, and actually try to scientifically have some guidance as to who deserves to be in and out. And that's all I'm going to say.
0: Uh, I, I agree. I mean, the old joke used to be, how do you go from a three to a four star or a four to a five star? Just tell everybody Notre Dame gave you an offer. Yeah. You don't have to be an extra star next year, next night. Yeah. That reality goes back 20, 25 years. So some, some things never change. Uh, before we get into the coaching carousel, I do want to reiterate and remind everybody this is a good service for everybody as we head toward the holidays because everybody loves gifts good way to get good gifts is to save money a good way to save money is to take advantage of these mortgage rates which have dipped to their lowest in levels and most levels in recent history don't know how how long that's going to last for a myriad of factors so you want to go ahead and jump on it while you can you need somebody who you can call it's going to take care of you Uh, use the guy that i have for 20 years multiple times i've used Stuart wingo both during my time in the carolinas and here in atlanta If you're looking for lower monthly payments, if you want a free cash-up for home improvements, if you just want to pay your home off faster, uh, Stuart Wingo has the answers to all of those things. Give him a call, 803-319-1777. That's 803-319-1777. That's Stuart Wingo of Ameris Mortgage. I promise he will take terrific care of you. All right, JC, I guess we talked a bunch about the South Carolina job Uh, last time. That's been filled, of course. Um, So now you've got Vanderbilt. And this is one of the most unique jobs on the planet. You know, we'll finish today's podcast with the latest news on the SEC TV contract. But I can just tell you, every school is going to go from 43 or so million dollars a year to 60 million. That's just TV revenue. That's before a single donation. That's before a single ticket is sold. A lot of people still don't realize that 60 million doesn't just go to like Alabama and LSU and Georgia. And then the second tier, you know, maybe they get, they get 38 million and then Vanderbilt gets 12. No Vanderbilt gets every bit of $60 million in TV revenue that Alabama does and Florida does and everybody else does. So um, as you look at this job, The biggest question for any candidate is going to be, well, how much of that 60 million are you going to actually put into football? Because the answer has been from everybody who's taken that job recently is not enough. And you you hear some interesting names going on right now. What are your thoughts on the position overall?
1: At Vanderbilt? um, I, I, you know, I, I think it's a difficult job and I think that they need to be, they need to take a hard look at how are they going to be different and compete. Um, and I think, uh, you know, when you, when you think about it, I, I'm all for them. And like, you know, when, it, when they were talking about Jeff Monk and going to South Carolina from army, I was like, that's, that's to me for that particular program, that would be given up. Um, but I think that, uh, You know, for Vanderbilt, that's a different story because you're always going to have trouble with athletes um, coming to Vandy. Uh, James Franklin did a great job at Vandy because James Franklin was the beneficiary of good recruiting on his own to get some good young players in there because he's so dynamic. And then that Bobby Johnson staff behind him, they were there about eight, nine years, and they developed enough relationships to where they had good talent in place. Uh, and then I think the thought was, well, we're going to go be Stanford now, so let's get Derek Mason. And then it was a disaster outside outside of beating Tennessee, which obviously, you know, they have to be happy about. <laughs> um, I, I think you got to be different. I, and I, and I, I, you know, Will Healy—that's uh, a hell of a hire if you hire him because you're hiring one of the up and comers. Maybe about two years before everybody wants him. Uh, he won at Austin P so there's no reason why he can't be successful at Vandy but if you're Will Healy do you take that job because you know even really good coaches don't win there and um if you're Vandy what what, what is he going to do that's different than what everybody else has been trying to do there is he going to be able to recruit better i mean what what what's the plan um so i would i would go different i would go with like a you know the guy from Coastal jamie chadwell is different on offense I, or, or i would just go straight triple option i mean i don't think it was great for a program like georgia tech that when you when the guy leaves you're going to have like no talent but I, I don't know that any coach is leaving vanderbilt with great talent anyway so that so that that's my that's my deal with that
0: will healy is intriguing to me it, like you said it it might not be intriguing to him um but I, I actually had a, a game where Austin P was playing somebody in the SEC. It might have been Arkansas. And we all knew they were going to be a sacrificial lamb of sorts. And I didn't know anything about the man. <laughs> I, I didn't know. When that name showed up on the sheet, I was like, okay, we're going to talk to this guy for, for an hour. Uh, but I really don't know if he's going to have anything interesting to say. Uh, and he blew me away in 10 minutes. And if you don't know the story about him at Austin P, you know, again, you can Google it. Uh, He did an amazing job there. And then he parlayed that into where he is now in Charlotte. And I think a lot of people, I liken him, I know he's not getting the same type of of light, but I I liken him to Mr. Row the Boat over there in Minnesota. Yeah. in terms of just an infectious personality and enthusiasm and uh, a guy that can put a program on the map in a short amount of time. Uh, That's Will Healy to me.
1: Yeah. And then the question is, can you do it at Vandy? If this were any other job in the SEC, South Carolina, Missouri, Kentucky, Ole Miss, even a bigger job like Tennessee, I'd be like all over, it. you know, I just at Vanderbilt, it's, it's a special kind of different, you know, Austin P is even a, you know, Austin P was just a a school that hadn't won a whole lot, but at Vanderbilt you have challenges and then who you're competing against every single week uh, is a challenge in and of itself. So that, that's my take on that. But Hey, if they can hire Will Healy, more power to him. But um, I just don't know that that's going to be the answer uh, to their prayers uh, and that's nothing against Will Healy or nothing against Vandy. I just think they need to go in a, in a radically different direction. Uh,
0: I, I believe so as well. I, I'm sure you get these. I got a phone call the other day from somebody, and, and I I still know a few people that are, quote, unquote, close to the program at Auburn. Mm-hmm. And a guy says, Mike, it's done, man. <laughs> it's 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 done. That regardless of what happens Saturday, uh, it, the, the, the wheels are already in motion. And I, I told this particular person, I said, "You realize I get this phone call every year. <laughs> every year I get this phone call regarding Gus at Auburn. And of course, it, it, it's never quite that simple. Um, you know, it doesn't matter which big booster. I mean, it matters, but it doesn't necessarily matter enough to precipitate a change." So I, I I'm not sure what's gonna happen. I mean, clearly that is a fan base that is very disgruntled overall. I, I think on top of everything else, the you know, when when Gus was already on the hot seat and pulled off the uh the daily double by beating Georgia and Alabama, and I'm not talking about the miracle year, I'm talking about just a few years ago. And of course, at that time Arkansas needed the coach. So Gus's agent, uh, which now has become a household name in any SEC fan, Jimmy Sexton, uh, you know, he had him over a barrel and was able to get all kinds of things, seven plus million a year. And the buyout is 20 something million dollars. Uh, and I make this point a lot. I made it to some South Carolina fans during uh, the dismissal of Will Muschamp. Auburn fans don't sit there and sweat buyouts. I, I, I think that and today's day, and I just quoted the money for you. I mean, every one of these schools is about to get $60 million in TV revenue before a single ticket is sold. So the athletic budgets of all these programs, I mean, you're, you're talking over $100 million in many cases. So if they really want you gone, they're going to spend the 20-something million dollars to get rid of Gus. I, I just, to me, the bigger question is not can they swallow the, the buyout or not. Uh, just like I don't think it's the biggest question of Tennessee. I think the biggest question is, who are you convinced you're going to get? Because as I mentioned at the top, there's been a cold bucket of reality water that's been splashed on a lot of fans' faces over the last few years that thought they could just get whoever the hell they wanted. You know, some of the names that you hear, Mario Cristobal, and of course Hugh Freeze is going to be named for every SEC opening from now until kingdom come, um, but I'm not sure if either one of those are, are realistic. And if they're not, then who will? Then who else is out there?
1: I, I I just I don't know. I think Mario Cristobal is a very interesting uh, candidate if Auburn opens. And I've heard from more than just the big boosters uh, about that. I, for somebody I trust, Auburn could open now. Now we'll see if it happens. Because Gus Malzahn, I think one of the most surprising things pre-COVID about college football in general was that Gus Malzahn still had a job at Auburn. <laughs> you know, Auburn fires Auburn fired Tuberville two years after an undefeated year. They fired Chiswick two years after a national championship. They, they're not really patient. And they've kind of had this quixotic love affair with, with Gus f- for years, you know. Um and 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 this year was not a terrible season, but uh, you know you, you could kind of see some things start to develop. And 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 you got to ask yourself if you're Auburn, is it time? You know, is is it really time? You know, for us to just say, look, you know, we're tired of. And for Gus too, look, I think Gus should have taken Arkansas. I think he's going to regret that because he's always, you know, one step ahead of the posse. I know he's rich now. Uh, but but I would have probably gotten out when the getting out was good. Mm-hmm. Now that being said, you know th- this could. I have a gut feeling this could be the year, uh, and that we may see it. And and Mario Cristobal to me, Mike, would be the perfect hire for Auburn. Um, it's not a it's not a cage animal syndrome hire because those are usually like that's like a Jim Harbaugh to Michigan kind of deal or Urban Meyer if he would go to Texas but it's a hell of a hire. I think he's got the energy to go in there because Auburn doesn't need much. They don't need much. They're just a little stagnated right now. They need they need a guy that's going to go in there and get them from where they are back to, you know, a team that could do what LSU did a couple of – you know, last year every now and then. Um, and, and, and anytime they're not, they're really good. So he's interesting because he's got energy. He's a recruiter. Um, you know he's he was Oregon's very fortunate that Willie Taggart took Florida State. You know, um, and, and I think he's got ties to the southeast and particularly to South Florida. Where whereas now, man, Alabama's getting a lot of the top players from South Florida. Uh, Auburn used to hit South Florida pretty hard, and they were kind of the school for a while, big time, especially Broward County, where where guys from down that way, if they did leave the state of Florida, they would go to Auburn. Um, And he can turn that, you know. Uh, I'm not saying – now, Bama fans don't need to think I'm saying he's going to all of a sudden go beat Bama on all these guys, but he's that type of dynamic personality that could do it. Uh, And I think he fits. Now, Hugh Freeze, I think people connect him with that Auburn job just because, you know, they hired Bruce Pearl. So, (laughs) you know, why not hire Hugh Freeze? Um, And that's a possibility too. But but what you got to do if you're Auburn is, though – You've got to make sure, though, that it's one of those two guys. Um, and even Freeze, I don't know if you compare his resume to Malzahn's, that it's all that superior. You've got to make sure you get a better better coach, yeah. you know, that, that you're not sitting there, you know, that, that you're going from Chiswick to Malzahn. Uh, and even though it brought you a national championship when you went from Tuberville to Chiswick, you know, you, you got to make sure you're not doing that right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be very interesting. And then I, I'm i not convinced Tennessee makes a move this year. I, I don't know. I mean, unless you just are convinced that Jeremy Pruitt is god-awful. To fire him after three years, it's not as if he took over a program in great shape. I don't know. And then and the only name that I hear there is Lane Kiffin. If, if they did make a move, I don't hear uh-huh. Any other grand candidates right now for the Tennessee job?
1: Mm. Which would be, I mean, yeah, and I don't, I don't see Kiffin leaving Ole Miss for for Tennessee. I don't see him getting back in. Ole Miss is actually an easy I said Lane uh, Kiffin,
0: I meant Hugh Freeze. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, well, I still hear Lane Kiffin for Auburn. You know, they took Tuberville back in the day. They figured they could take Kiffin, but you know, that's just kind of um. It's going to be interesting, man. I, 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 I'm with you. You know, I think Tennessee should make a move yeah and if I'm Auburn unless I know I'm getting Mario Cristobal specifically I'm not making a move I'm just not doing it right now because you know next year you're, you're going to have another group of coaches some of these younger guys are going to be you know another year into into a lower program there may be a no-brainer out there you're not thinking of now um so why do it I think that um you know, I think I think Gus is just fine to get you through. I think Tennessee, though, I mean, how you know, are you just gonna? I mean, because what if it's worse next year? What what if they're like four and eight? You know, and and, and then you're in an even bigger. I think they're kind of like where South Carolina was last year, to be honest.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Where I mean, you could justify it, but I don't think they will.
0: Yeah, you might be right on that. I mean, I I don't think Hugh Freeze is going anywhere. Um, so if you wanted to give Jeremy one more year to try to prove something, uh, last I checked and you know more about this than me, I mean, they did make some waves in recruiting in the last 12 months. So it, it's not as if everything has been on the decline in Knoxville. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if you think that's your landing spot, if, if he was the guy, he'll be there. I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to be, um, departing for another job this year. And and to go back to the Ball thing, and before we, I know we're short on time, so we'll wrap things up here in a second. I, I think it's a really interesting deal because if the PAC 12 was healthy, right. If the PAC 12, what it is, was, is what it was is what I'm trying to say,
1: mm-hmm.
0: say five, 10 years ago, then I would, I would go back to my default stance, which is uh, reality check. Oregon has money, and a lot of it. Uh, Oregon has the facilities. Oregon can compete. Uh, there's less pressure, quite frankly, at Oregon than there is at an SEC school. Like everything else in that part of the country, it's a little more laid back. And so path of least resistance, I'm Mario Cristobal. Why don't I just stay at Oregon? But geographically – it's more his comfort zone. The Southeast is, and at what point do you say, you know what? I'm a competitor, and the Pac-12 to me is just, yeah, it's Power Five, but it doesn't feel like Power Five. I feel like I'm ready. I'm ready to actually compete for games that everybody cares about, and playing in a league that is a little more committed, so to speak. Uh, that might not sound fair to the Pac-12, and you and I have talked about this ad nauseum. We both love the Pac-12. Love Pac-12 after dark. Would love the Pac-12 to be what it used to be. I heard Rick Neuheisel going off uh, today, uh, at euphoric about UCLA now becoming a uh, a, a Nike jump school. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big deal for them. They're, they got out of their Under Armour contract, and you know you can you can feel the breeze coming off the Pacific Ocean on the campus of UCLA. <sighs> Chip Kelly, if they, if, they, if, if they beat Southern Cal, there might be a little bit of bust. I, I want all that to be relevant again. I would love that. Uh, just like I'd love to be – there'd be more uh, quality teams in the Big 12. But I don't know if I see it right now. I think the Pac-12 still has some issues, and and that might be the one thing more than anything else that gets Mario Cristobal to jump if it's actually offered.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, here's the thing you got to ask yourself, Auburn fans, Gus is 66 and 33 or something like that overall, but he's three and five against Bama. He's beaten Bama more than any other coach. What if you get crystal ball and yeah, you're going 10 and two every year, but he's Oh and five against Saban. And then whoever takes Bama. I mean, what, I know that game means a lot. And, and Gus, that's the, the thing he's done best there is beat them. He's, it's like almost kind of like Derek Mason, but with more winning. You know, Derek Mason, the thing he did best is beat Tennessee at Mandy. Um, but but Gus has been able to beat Bama. Um, and you know, that they, they 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 haven't lost at home to Bama in five years, you know. So I uh that you gotta ask yourself at that school, you know, what happens if you do that? And then you you lose your little magic against uh the Crimson Tide.
0: Yeah. I don't, that'll be interesting. In terms of the games this week, as we wrap up, like I said, at the very top, seems like it's more about the storylines right now. I mean, you look at the SEC, for example, uh, the most competitive game will likely be Auburn-Mississippi State. I, I think Georgia-Missouri could be somewhat intriguing. Mm-hmm. Arkansas is a great story, but they're not going to be able to compete with Al, uh, with Alabama. And then Florida-LSU, if this was actually Uh, Any other year, that would be an enticing game. But LSU is ready for the season to end in the worst way possible. Oh, Tigers, I need a vacation. What a disaster this has been this year uh, in Baton Rouge. And and I really wonder what the repercussions are going to be after this year. Quite frankly, mm, me too. time in another podcast. JC, some final thoughts before we bid farewell.
1: Uh, before people start getting on my boy Coach O, I just want to remind everybody that Will Wade is still coaching basketball at Louisiana yeah. State University. <laughs> that's all I got to say. Okay, that's well, the most amazing thing. I, you talk about amazing things. Gus Malzahn's not fired, and Will Wade is still coaching at LSU. But, but Will Wade's players seem to like him. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's a difference. That, that
0: might be that might
1: be the difference in those two scenarios. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So. They
0: went from loving O to not necessarily liking O in a real short amount of time, and there's a lot that that went into that. And again, um, that transcends just the sports world, and that's a whole other conversation for a whole other time. JC, uh, for our next conversation, for those that. Uh, or maybe just discovering this podcast as we continue to grow by the thousands each and every year, what are the best ways to indulge, download and ingest this particular podcast?
1: Okay. So I got, I got some new things today. I go to, uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh Apple pods, which is basically, um, you know, Apple podcast, which is iTunes. We're also on Google play. We're also on, the Stitcher app, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you want to do it. If you go there, um, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating because we will really appreciate that. Um, And then got something new. Uh, If you have a question for the JC and Morgan podcast mailbag, please email us to morgan at gmail.com. The and is spelled out, morgan at gmail.com. And you can rock and roll. Also, follow us on Twitter at JC and Morgan. I think that's uh, that's how you get us. Tweet at us at JC and Morgan or send us that email, JC and Morgan at gmail.com. This is one of the few emails I'll actually enjoy opening. Yes, yes. We'll have lots of fun with the mailbag, a good way to interact with everybody. Don't know if we'll get to every question every single week because sometimes they get long and all that. But we'll at least try to answer one or two. Uh, every week of the best questions, you know, uh, if you want to ask about Robert Lozia, I'll answer that one for sure.
0: Fair enough. All right. I'm going to jump on a conference call. You've got uh, well, you've got a weekend somewhat free. So good for you as as it turns out. Hopefully you'll uh, get a chance to enjoy some games up there in Chi-Town. And uh, I don't want to ruin it for you, but um, they're at the part where they're about to get on the boat and try and kill the shark and Uh, I don't know if the shark's going to win this one. Well, Quint might have a different opinion, but, but in the final analysis, the other two guys, I, I, I think they're going to take care of the shark. So, okay. Glad, glad spoiler alert. Uh, that's, that's what happens, but somehow another great white makes a comeback in Jaws two, Jaws three, Jaws four, Jaws five, uh, it's a vicious cycle of big sharks that are for human flesh for JC Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long. We'll see you next time.